What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On today's episode, we find out that taxes are the price we pay for living in a society. Learn that having to work eight hours a day is a problem. Unravel the mystery behind the velocity of money. Uncover that the reason the CDC has failed to contain monkeypox is because it is underfunded. And finally, we bust another minimum wage myth. This is Cringe Posts. Hey friends, welcome to this episode of the Cringe Post Podcast. This is the podcast where we take on and find the cringiest political and cultural takes that we see in our feeds. Uh, and we point out kind of where they went wrong, point out where they could go right, and try to have a little bit of a laugh along the way. Uh, before we get started, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. It always helps us out, and we'd love to hear from you in our DMs or in the comments. And if you are uh, listening to the show on Apple you know, or, or Spotify or any of those places, uh, and you want to see these Cringe Posts, you can go to cringepost.com and check out the visual show companion there. Uh, before we poke fun at other people, we always like to poke fun at ourselves. And uh, today we we get to take a trip into my co-host Donnie's uh, old Tumblr. Um, and he has a post here that's titled Profanity. Why do people feel the need to cuss? It's quite unbecoming, uncultured, and unintelligent. I wish that people, instead of mindlessly thrashing out at one another with swear words, would spar with words in a creative yet pointed manner. For instance, where someone might shout, F you, they should instead lash out, go and eat a maggot's nest, you slimy pair of thrown out gym socks. Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this gives me like, like clever Redditor energy. Oh my gosh, I hate it. It's so up my own butt. <laughs> Come on. Like this is this this kind of stuff would be like if you said this in real life, right? If you didn't say it on Tumblr but you said it in real life, you would get bullied for it. Yeah, and you would you would not know. They would like help reinforce your position, right? But you would not know that you're being insufferable, right? Like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, even even in the 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 second line there the unbecoming uncultured and unintelligent if that wasn't pretentious enough and just i, I mean I'm, I'm such a d-bag but it's it's i mean it's obviously arrogant and self-aggrandizing but also i'm trying to be clever with you know the un 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 you know linking and and you know an alliteration and all that and i just oh my gosh it makes it's so insufferable i i can't stand it and, and you're almost like like the reason you and I both don't necessarily like swearing or don't practice that in our, our daily lives. Um, but like the reason people, the, the reason I dislike swearing the most is, is because someone's usually trying to portray a version of themselves in a really strong way. That's not necessarily representative of them either, or that they can't like 
they can't necessarily articulate. Like there, it's got some like shock value that they want to like put onto themselves and take that onto themselves. And what's ironic about this is you're doing that same thing, right? You're trying yeah. to be like, oh, look at me, the 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 intellectual, you know, up yeah. <laughs> on the pedestal exactly. and taking that on. So you're you're guilty of the thing that makes swearing not that awesome. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, and and the funny thing is this this doesn't have any point of argumentation. There's no, this is just me saying what I wish people would do. Who cares? Who cares what Donnie wants the world to do? There's no, there's no point to it. I I don't give a reason. I don't give, you know, if it would be one thing, if I was making the point that, you know, I don't like it when people take the Lord's name in vain. If you're a Christian and you're doing that thing, there's a commandment to not do that. His name comes with power and using it in a frivolous way is is demeaning to that power, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't even have that fully formed of a worldview at that point as to know why I don't like swearing and to recognize that profanity can be used in certain contexts where the gravity of the word is important. And many cases it's rude or it's repugnant or it will, will come across in a bad way. And that is not an impression you want to give. But at the core of it, you don't want to use words in vain. That's kind of the, the idea. Yeah. But I don't have that argumentation here, right? I'm just saying. I mean, you say go I, eat maggots, you slimy yeah. pair of gym socks. Like, that's right. not much exactly. better. I'm reinforcing people to say mean things to each other. I'm just saying, just yeah. don't use these particular words. And again, I don't justify why. I'm just telling you my preference is this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 we were talking about this before the show, but I, I remember you and your brother very much anti-swear in college. I was never pro-swear, but I, I've known to drop one every now and then. I always thought, wow, <laughs> like you guys, I, I think maybe it was more your brother wore it as a badge of honor that like he'd never sworn up until that point. I'm sure maybe that's changed as life goes on. But, uh, you know, I think he's still uh, F word He's still pure. Wow, I, think, he's still I pure. think so. That's awesome. I think so. Good for you, yeah. David. I think that's all I've got on that one. <laughs> and he did it. He did it with all the the pretension that you you. I know, you, which you is put crazy to think about. So yeah. he, he is of pure heart, <laughs> truly. <laughs> he had to put up with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Moving on to other people's stuff. We've got a post in a Reddit called "The Right Can't Meme," um, and it's a picture of a pose of a meme, and it says "fixed it." And the original post would read like this, you know, if the government was a person and they've got a person saying, hey, I'm so tired, I worked 60 hours last week, and then the government person says, you know, that's so crazy, so where's my cut? A pretty accurate take, I'd say. Um, but this post tries to fix it, and they say, you know, instead of uh, uh, that's so crazy, where's my cut, they say, you know how I gave you all those things like roads, water, education, etc. Reckon you could pay me for those things? like you agreed to when you agreed to live in a society. So this this harkens back to uh, we live in a society 2, 2.0. Yeah. You know, I, the first time I saw this, you know, it's like, it's like, huh, like, you know, to, to the normal lay person that's just kind of browsing through things, they'd be like, oh, like, that makes tons of sense. You know, we pay taxes and, you know, if we're, if we're reaping the benefits of those services and all these different things, like, what, what's so wrong with that? And the, the, what's wrong with it is that you have no choice to pay those taxes. Um, it's the same thing as if you, you know, my grandmother in the Philippines owned a restaurant and the, uh, the mafia came up and said, Hey, you know, this is a really nice restaurant. We see you have a lot of people coming in here. You know, it could be really dangerous for you. You know, if you don't have protection, so you better pay us 20% of everything you make or else some things might go bad, you know? And so, uh, she, you know, played the game and paid them the money and nothing went bad, but if she didn't pay them, right, like they wouldn't have protection and anything could happen to them. And that's, that's essentially what is happening, right? When there, there's no, uh, in a good and just relationship, you can opt out 
of anything that you want to and say, hey, I don't want to pay for that anymore. And that's the big difference between uh, the between the liberty world that we envision, which is like, yeah, like I want to have a road. Let me pay for it and choose to pay for it. And if I don't pay for it, I don't get to use the road, right? Or if I don't opt into whatever set of conditions of the person that built the road, I don't get to use it. Uh, whereas the government says, hey, you 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 get to use this road and you will like using it, um, and you will pay us or we'll shoot you. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> well, and the I mean the other thing too is this assumption reliance that these things by default should be provided and are best provided and distributed by the government is baked into this. It's the common assumption that even the most rural conservative public school is going to instill into someone, which is the you know the funny thing about it. Um so when this person edits the original meme to you know to instead of having the government say so where's my cut to sort of expand that into here's all the services we're providing how do how about you pay me back like we agreed as you point out there was no agreement there but the problem is really that is the zoomed in version of the conservative meme there it really is Maybe this is a turning point USA meme. And so, if, you know, a lot of their politics is going to be predicated on the assumption that we need a strong, small government that has a, you know, a strong military and public school system that's, you know, just raising them right, just making them say the Pledge of Allegiance and uh, allowing prayer in schools to be taught by unqualified teachers. Um, things like that, which so, so this, you know, the, the, the lefty here did fix it in a way in that, they kind of point out the inherent contradiction of the conservative position that believes in some form of ta of extortionary taxation for these services that they would argue cannot be otherwise distributed. That's the baseline assumption that so many people have. Uh, whereas you can look at impoverished countries that, you know, they, they have public schooling and yet, you know, I'm trying to remember which country it is. Tom Woods had, a, had interviewed a guy who talked about this in great detail. It might've even been, um, I don't know. It was one of the poorest African nations, and they, you know, they had a public school system. But these pa these these parents of these kids who were already impoverished chose to do homeschool type options. You know, they they did like co ops where they would take turns teaching, and those they, and there was something like forty percent of parents chose to do that in spite, of, and the outcomes were better. And so you think in a in a nation where we are one of the wealthiest per capita. And we are one of the biggest global contributors, com contributors, and there's all of these resources abundant to us, and we have things like access to electricity, you know, whether it's through government services or not. You you think that if if you can make these things work in in nations where the the natural resources and the and the number of economic goods available is low, you absolutely can do it in a in a rich nation with um, with way more access, and you can scale that. So. All of these things, roads, water, education, as being sort of posited as these goods that have to be distributed by the government is just the false assumption that someone who's going to make a meme like this relies on. And ultimately, kind of the false assumption that the conservative who made this meme tries to ignore. Yep. They just want to talk about what they sort of nebulously call big government, but they don't want to define what makes big government big when it's contributing to something that their pet cause or issue. Yeah, and and that's um, I was talking with a, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, yesterday, who, who's very much on the left, um, but kind of one of the better lefties, and that he's very anti-war and, and all this stuff. And 
you know, we were just joking about how we differ and all these things. And I was like, you know, dude, like if we didn't have all these wars, like maybe there might be a little bit of money left over. I still think it's wrong that it was taken, but there might be a little bit of money left over to pay for some of these social programs that you want, right? Like, and I would honestly much rather money go there and be wasted there than wasted blowing up other people. The, the other, so you're totally right there that like, that's the the weakness and errant weakness of a conservative position is it's not philosophically consistent, right? In in that manner, yeah. and that's where they get got. Because like, yeah, if they're gonna take the money, like, might as well spend it where hypothetically it's gonna be used best. I just believe that the people that use it best are the ones that make it in the first place. And that's why I, I take so much issue with the the first line, which is, you know, how I gave you all those things. It's yep. like, what what did you give me? You you took my money from me. You spent it on a project that I basically had no say over. The budget that you gave me for the project, for the roads, for the water, for the education, you you usually are like three or four X what the budget is that you gave me. It's usually not even as good as you pitched it originally. And then you barely maintain it. And then it's built with actual private people. It's like, what 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 aspect of that did you give to me? It sounds like you took a lot and wasted and squandered it. Like, that's what people don't realize. Like, think about the government as a private company. Think about it as like a plumber in your house. If you have a plumber to come over and you say, hey, I want to install a toilet. And they say, hey, I'll, I'll quote you, you know, $1,000 to install this toilet and set up all the plumbing for it and all this stuff. And then, you know, the plumber comes in and instead of it taking a month, you know, to do this whole bathroom remodel, it takes them five years. And he's like, well, it took me five years, so I got to charge you $50,000 for it now. And oh, by the way, you can't actually flush it. You've got to like take a bucket and scoop everything out and throw it outside. That's the equivalent of how well government does uh, all these different projects. And it's... the. And then you have to ask yourself the reason why are they so bad at doing these projects is because there is no human action. There's no human incentive tied to how the money is spent. It's all these people that are disconnected and, from because they never actually earned it. And and the conservative position to that, you know, if you protested, would say, look, we we ended up paying this plumber $50,000 instead of the original agreed upon 1000 And they'd say, well, he's doing his job. He earned it. We need that. We need plumbing. We need a toilet. That's and, and we just need a different this, plumber. <laughs> well, yeah, and and what makes me think about this is uh, shout outs to the Grassroots Institute of Hawaii, another think tank, um, and I, they posted a, a TikTok where uh, they pointed out that um, basically the the cops uh, in Hawaii got paid overtime in such a way that was like more than doubling their their salary, and then because of the way that the pay happened. The, it had to get matched into their retirement pensions. Oh so you gosh. ended up paying like all this extra money. So, so paying overtime is one thing, right? Because I guess that's an agreed upon thing. But when the overtime gets matched into the pension, then you're almost, you know, sort of they made four times the impact, they, right? Yeah, they made four times. And so, and so, you know, they, they pointed, they just kind of pointed it out, right? And I think, I think personally of, I think about that and it's one, let's even say, you know, you as a citizen voluntarily consented to a, a police officer's salary. Let's say you consent to, you know, let's pay them 60 grand a year or whatever they're going to be paid. And then over, plus overtime, I agree to that. And then I agree to the pensions, but you're not agreeing to like the pensions going into the overtime. So they're, they're taking that money from you without your consent there, even if you presumed the initial thing was consensual. So they're doing that without your consent. But the, the comments I was seeing, because the Grassroots Institute of Hawaii is, a, it's a free market thing. Um, I think, th I think they tend to be pretty libertarian, which is awesome, but it means you get a lot of conservative people on there. And I saw all these comments <laughs> of people saying, things like well, well they're doing their job we need that service so what's wrong and 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 this is um the the problem right where the the plumber comes in you know takes 5 years 
you pay him $50,000 and then you say, hey, we shouldn't be spending that much on a plumber. And the conservative position is, well, if he's earned it, he was working overtime. And it's like, well, we need plumbing. So are you going to seriously cut there? And it's like, no, no, no. Even if you think that this is a necessary service, you have to recognize that there is a level of waste that is too big that should be cut. But the problem is they never want to say that because because it, it looks, oh, I'm anti-police now. And it's more expedient to be politically sound and to politically support the cops and the police than to actually be fiscally sound. So the conservative position of we need a small government is never, never sustainable in the same way that Keynesianism isn't because you can never actually point to the peak line. You can never say, this is where we need to raise taxes if you're talking about Keynesianism. Or if you're a conservative, this is where we need to stop paying the police or the military or whatever, you know, quote unquote, small government includes. Yeah, that's good. I, I'll have to go look that up. I, it reminds me of the uh, the firefighter in California that got paid for more hours than there are in a year. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, it's like, that's how public unions work. They're, he had multiple personality disorder. He yes, had two yeah. people working had to on cover it. All, yeah, they had to cover yeah. all those people. <laughs> all right. Speaking of hours worked, uh, our next post comes from a Twitter user and she tweets, Am I the only one that sees a problem with working eight to nine hours a day and then going home to having about four hours to yourself, which includes getting ready for the next day? This is not life. Then to be married and have kids on top of all that? Wild. No wonder people are depressed and going through it. That's too much to handle. Working four to five hours a day would be perfectly fine too, even in a field I enjoy. At least I can know a majority of my day slash life is still for me and not for the job I work for. If only we could get the world to see that our career is our life, not making money for big corporations. And for this one, <laughs> this one, man, is just ridiculous. And this is this person, I did a little bit of background on them. They're, they're, I think they're a college senior, and they're about to learn pretty hard uh, here <laughs> in a minute that if you don't work, you don't get no bread. <laughs> like There's nothing for you to eat. Uh, and so working is for you. <laughs> Right. As she she's like, I just want to work for me. It's like, well, yeah, the majority of your life is making sure that you are able to like sustain yourself and house yourself and clothe yourself and feed yourself. Uh, and if you don't work, you know, you don't get to do those thing things. And so uh harkening it back to our favorite, you know, the desert island with the coconuts. Like this this is the yes. equivalent of a person, you know, getting on the island and everyone, you know, everyone has to to get, you know, they consume the equivalent of five coconuts a day or whatever it is, right? And so it's like, there is no good technology. Everyone has to climb a tree, hack the coconuts down, chop them open and get out the meat and then cook it or do whatever they're going to do to make it taste good. And like, it just, it takes 10 hours to do that, right? And this person sits on the beach and says, you know, this is so dumb. Like, I don't want to have to work 10 hours. I should be able to work five hours. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have to work for the coconut tree. I don't want to have to work for coconuts. Like, I just want to live my life. I want to spend it living for me. And then that person, after a few days, decides, oh my gosh, I'm going to starve to death. And then they start climbing the tree to get the coconuts. And it's like, you know, for all of human history, it used to take a person almost like 16 hours worth of time to make enough and produce enough in equivalent for, you know, to feed and house themselves in a day. It, it, that's how long it took them. And the only reason it's gotten better, the only reason we have the eight to nine hours that you work in a day is because of technological advances. That is by no means the standard. The, the normal working day is how much time it takes for you to make the equivalent uh, for your current lifestyle, right? You have to produce the amount of what you take in or a little bit more or else you're going backwards. Yeah, and you know, I think this person they they they're not totally off the mark in the sense that your 
priorities in life are not wrong if that's the way you're thinking. I genuinely think that if you are saying that your family and your children, your you know, if that, and and experiences, if that's the primary focus of your life, I think that you're at, at the very least you're not consumed by sort of the corporate work, and sure. that's the only thing to life. And I think that's good. But the problem is they trade their understanding of priorities correctly for the incorrect assumption that the reason that this exists is because of some orchestrated reality by corporations or even by like the government or whatever, you know, as you point out, it's a matter of reality. And frankly, if this person wants to work four to five hours a day, you absolutely can. You j- it's just called a part-time job and, or it's called consulting and getting paid enough in those four or five hours to sustain yourself. It's really all it is, is a game, like you said, of making more than you, you know, use. And so th- the per- the assumption of saying working eight to nine hours a day, well, that's under the assumption that you're making a- an amount that is going to mean that that's how much you make. Right. And And that's, you know, that's a vast majority of jobs right now, but that's also because the vast majority of people want to live in a way where they work, they get the value of eight to nine hours of work. And that's usually the most convenient trade-off. You know, it's not everyone can work like multiple consulting jobs for like two hours a day each uh, and, and make a sustainable living. Now, if you can do that, that's awesome. And that's great. And then if, if that's your, then your lifestyle and you, instead of, you know, working, 10 consulting jobs, maybe you work five and you can sustain yourself. That's awesome. That's your choice. And the beautiful thing is that capitalism capitalism and free markets make that more possible than anything yeah. else can. Uh, just mandating, like if you made a, you know, a, a sort of the 40 hour work week law type thing, um, then you, you artificially inhibit things before they're ready to be inhibited, you know? Um, and it's, it's just kind of like how the forced lockdowns forced a lot of businesses to adapt to remote work. Uh, And while this was a positive thing for a lot of businesses, there were businesses that were shut down and you've totally screwed the economy in the process. So it's like, do, is the outcome of more remote work a good thing that technology and I would argue free, free markets enabled and that should be taken advantage of? Yes. Did the lockdowns help promote that? Yes. Was it worth it? No. <laughs> like the costs of forcing those things uh, ended up screwing over so many businesses that had to close and reopen. I don't remember the stats, but we've quoted them here before. Something like 60% that were closed, uh, you know, failed or yeah. on reopen, something like that. Um, I, that. Maybe that was restaurants specifically. I don't remember. But, you know, it's, it, was, it was devastating to so many businesses. It's devastating for inflationary reasons and for supply chain issues. Um, and so in the same way, when you, you know, if you were to take sort of the legislative aim here, which is my guess of this person's kind of solution, it's you, you, you might, you know, allow some businesses that should offer flexibility in terms of hours worked for people who don't want to earn you know, the salary, uh, and they can, they can live in a, on a smaller footprint. That would be great. And I wish more businesses were flexible with their hours. Some can't be though. And that's the problem is when you do legislation, you don't get to, you don't incentivize the ones who can to do it. You force everyone, including the ones who can't do it to, uh, to adapt to that. And it's disastrous. And, and, and notice that if there was legislation like this, there would be some industries that are exempted. Think about things like grocery stores that need to be open so people can get food. Those would have to stay open. And I'm guessing there would be some sort of exemptions because, uh, the costs of hiring people to cover all those shifts would double their costs, which would make it unsustainable. Uh, same, same thing with police and with fire departments and things where there are 
actual needs that don't sleep because of the reality that we, you know, that we're talking about. Yeah. The, and this, this person is the same kind of person that the, the disconnect between reality and actually moving through life is so big that they get upset at people that decide to, you know, that work 10 hours a day, but live on only, you know, four hours a day worth of, you know, sustenance for 10 years, and then they retire early, right? Like, they get grumpy at those people, because they're like, oh, they must have un- not earned it. It's like, no, like, that, that, that's the whole game of reality, right? You, you, whether you live in a communist society, or in a capitalist society, or anything in between, uh, if you, if you are able to produce more than you take, and you're able to, you know, take that difference and invest it, or use it in other ways, eventually, you might have more stuff stockpiled and saved up, and producing things that you don't have to work ever again, right? You have enough to last the remaining 50 years of your life or whatever it's going to be. And that's the whole premise of retirement. That's the whole premise of, you know, investing and taking your capital and giving it to other people that are going to create more and more goods and stuff like that. And so these people, this mindset are destined to be poor, right? Like if if they operate in this way, um, because they, they don't understand how, you know, inputs and outputs affect their day to day life and how to manage that. Um, and most of the time what I see, you know, it's, it's, it's public schoolers that have that, right? They never had any sort of personal finance class ever taught to them. Um, and so it's never put to them in that way. It's like, you got to produce more than you consume. Um, and we've, we've got some other, other cringe posts about like, about wages and how much people consume and all that stuff. And we'll get to that. But, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it kind of, Tom Woods has this, um, this episode where he talks about how, Basically, all Americans will occupy the top, you know, I think it's like 5% or 1% or whatever it is at some point in their life because most of the people that occupy that top echelon of wealth are people that are older, right? So it's over time, you know, if, if, you're, if you're working eight hours a day and you're only consuming, you know, six hours uh, worth of stuff, then, you know, over time, eventually you have, you know, once you hit 60, you saved up however many hours of time worth to like go through the rest of your life. And that's all stockpiled. Right. And so you're going to be richer than someone that's only been working for a year or two years like this person is. Um, and that's why they're, you know, everyone will then if you work uh, and you consistently work and don't consume more than you, you produce, uh, you will eventually occupy the, the top echelons. You might not do it very fast, but you will at some point. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, agreed. All right, we've got uh, an, a post. Um, And this person writes, this is actually a real economic concept called the velocity of money. Let's say you get paid $10. 
you use that $10 to buy lunch from a street vendor. Then the street vendor uses that $10 to take a taxi home. Then the taxi driver uses that $10 to pay his babysitter. Next, the babysitter uses that $10 to buy groceries, etc. That one $10 bill produced $50 of economic value. This is really good for the economy and why it's bad to give rich people more and more money because all the rich people do is hoard it. They don't stimulate the economy multiple times over with it. Oh my gosh. When I saw this, I could not believe it. Um, I almost texted it to you because I thought it was it was just so cringe, but I figured we, <laughs> we, we leave it for here. It's like, wow, th- this magical formula that if you spend money, things are created. Like, I didn't know that. Like, it's we've unlocked the cheat code for the universe. Like, the, the only... <laughs> The only people that the you know the velocity of money benefits is the government that taxes it because the only thing that's created by money being spent is taxes, right? Like whenever when you spend that ten dollar, when you get paid that ten dollars, you're taxed you know ten, fifteen, twenty percent on it. So you really get paid eight, and then you go spend at eight dollars at the lunch vendor, and he has to charge you ten percent for sales tax, and then it so on and so forth till eventually you know that money. Uh, is no longer, you know, the whole value of it has been extracted into the government. What this person fundamentally doesn't understand is that money is just, it's just a way to exchange value, right? Like it's not, it's not creating anything when you do that. You didn't create, you know, like, like let's say the, uh, um, like the street vendor, um, had, like let's say a dollar is worth one taco, right? Like just by spending ten dollars over and over and over, you don't just create ten tacos each time that happens. You have to have ten tacos initially for that ten dollars to exist in the first place. Um, and that ten dollars being transferred is just so that you don't have to figure out the ratio of tacos to miles driven as a taxi driver, or ratios of tacos to you know the babysitter hours or anything like that. Um, so that's what money is. It's just a, it's just a method of exchange, uh, so that way you don't have to think too hard about it. Um, and we've seen this, you know, right now w- with with all the inflation going on, with the redefinition of recession coming up here on Thursday. It's like the more money you print, the less buying power it has because the actual amount of stuff that has been produced has not increased. The only way things get cheaper is if there is more of that stuff. Um, because then you know there's more for everyone to go around, and people don't have to trade as much to get the thing that they want. Um, you don't just create more by pretending that there's more. Well, and I think that what perfectly illustrates your point is how this starts. Um, let's say you get paid ten dollars. That's where they started with. You get paid, not with what you created, what you yeah. produced, what value you added. It's you just get paid ten dollars. Ten dollars just appears. And it's like, okay, well, if I just got paid $10 and there's nothing else in the world, like that's your, your, ta- your starting tabula rasa, blank slate, you get paid $10. And then you, you know, use that $10 to buy lunch from a street vendor. The street vendor's like, what the heck is this $10? But I don't want this. I, you know, I, ma- I made food here. I want something that means something. You don't just get paid $10. You produce something of value and then you get a token that represents the value you've created, either through services or products or, or production or something like that. So yeah, to illustrate that point, they just make this assumption of you just introduce money into an economy and then it gets spent over and over. And it's like, no, no, no. People work and produce things of value. 
and then that value gets exchanged through and through. So at best, their example isn't about this stupid ten dollars. The val the, the the you know the the value that's created is it's more about the ripple effect of when people are productive and they can exchange things. The exchanged value can sort of ripple throughout the economy, and productive people can exchange goods and services that they don't have access to before. And so you know your act of you know growing ten dollars worth of tomatoes has given you know that num that val that ten dollars of value has been added to the sum of the economy. Yes. Not you know not this fifty dollars worth of economic value has been added. The the total economy has grown by ten dollars because you have traded effort and and sweat of your own uh, into and then translate that into economic value. Um, and so where, again, they, they they almost kind of get the idea a little bit, but they make it into this stupid equation about how if it's used ten, you know, five this ten dollar bill gets used five times, then it's fifty dollars. Like no, when you initially produced the service, you translated basically your own human energy, human intellect, whatever you did to produce that value, you you translated that into something that was not in the economy into growing the entire pot of the economy, which is why free market exchange is not a finite, the rich taking from the poor or, or someone making money means someone else doesn't have it. It's why it's not, it's not a zero sum game like that. When, when you have a free market, people can be in ingenuitive and, and they use their own sort of unlimited resource of their own innovation and, and, or effort. And that's, you know, that's the renewable resource that, that drives the economy up and makes it expand. And so that, uh, you know, when even when the rich are getting richer in a free market society, the poor are getting richer too, and the middle class is shrinking because more of them are moving into the upper class. Yeah, and that's what this person fundamentally misunderstands is it's it's not that that ten dollars created by being exchanged created fifty dollars of economic value. Fifty dollars of economic value already existed before those ten dollars were exchanged. Now they're just determining you know what is going to be traded where, and so then that begs the question. How do you create $51 of economic mm -hmm. value? You produce more. Well, how do you produce more if you you know, if you can't invest in it? Well, that's where capital comes in, right? You got to have capital to buy yourself time to be able to produce more and more and more and more. And that's where people that have saved up money, you know, these rich people that have hoarded the wealth, that invest in companies, you know, whether it's through the stock market or through literally, you know, your grandfather gives you a $10,000 loan to go open up an ice cream shop. You know, all that capital has to be. You have you have to tend your uh your your wheat as you eat your daily bread, right? And so that's what rich people do. That's the function they serve in society. Is that they say, hey, I want to invest in this. I'll give you money so that you can get up and start it because I believe that if I give you ten dollars, that you will start creating fifteen dollars worth of value every single year or whatever amount of return it's going to be. And so that's the only way that that fifty dollars of economic value actually grows. It's not by spending money, right? It's not just by, you know, it's like if you keep spending it, spend yourself to make money. It, it, it's not how it works. It's not magic. There's a really a logical uh, cause and effect behind all of this. Um, and that's why waste is such a, a bad thing, right? Like if that $50 worth of economic value that's been produced, if it goes to waste, gets thrown in the garbage or whatever, like that's a, that's a tragedy, right? Like that means that the, uh, that, that, that means that the total amount of economic value has shrunk, the pie has shrunk, and that there's less for everything to go around. Um, whereas, you know, by investing in things, by using it efficiently, making sure that the people that, you know, produced it are in charge of it, that ensures that, you know, that $50 worth of economic value not only stays the same, but it grows and that there's more for everyone. Uh, and that's why, you know, in the past 40 years, you know, over a billion people have been lifted out of poverty. Uh, it's because there is more stuff to go around. And that's the only way that things get better. Agreed. 
All right, we've got our next one. Um, we've got we've got a not so cringe post by a guy named Nicholas Weaver. Um, I'll read that and I'll read the actual cringe post. So he writes, the CDC was supposed to have spent the last two decades preparing for the specific scenario of, quote, what if someone resurrects smallpox and releases it as a bioweapon, unquote. Now, when faced with a virus that is literally story mode smallpox, they fail, amazingly. For monkeypox, there are vaccines that work, the smallpox vaccines, treatments that worked, designed for smallpox, techniques that work, contact tracing as if it was smallpox, it is not hypervirulent, virulent, and they have failed completely and utterly to prevent this growing. So, yeah, I don't necessarily know Nicholas Weaver's political leanings, but I mean, spot on, right? Like, it's like that's the whole point of the CDC is to prevent diseases. And then this brilliant person uh, replies, "This is the result of chronic underfunding of the CDC." So, you know, back to our our plumber, uh, our plumber analogy. Uh, from from the very first post, you know they've given us we've paid them fifty thousand dollars, and they've given us a toilet that doesn't work, and they've gone five years over budget uh, in time wise. And then someone comes and says, "Well, you just you just didn't pay the guy enough. That's the whole problem. That's why you don't have a working toilet." It's the, the, and this is really I had to make sure this wasn't a joke. It's not. This guy really believes it. It's the classic joke of the only business or the only entity that can fail and get paid more to do what they were already failing at doing is the government. Um, so you and I both agree that like I, we don't really want big national things like the CDC mandating and managing health and how things are taken care of. Um, but if we're going to pay them, at least, you know, do a good job uh, and they have done a terrible job and uh, it's not for a lack of billions of dollars of funding. Right. I think they've got like 160,000 employees or something crazy like that. There's a lot of people that work at the CDC and they get billions of dollars in funding each year and they can get even more from that depending on what kind of emergencies happen. Um, and it's just nuts. It's like, you know, m- monkey, monkey pox or whatever. I think it's killed. It's not killed. It's killed like less than 100 people worldwide. I think maybe two in the United States. Uh, and there's a very clear, clear vector of transmission, uh, let's say, <laughs> for that. Um, so the fact that this billions of dollar organization can't mobilize and figure out how to handle it is just I think it's a it's a damning indictment of uh, the effectiveness of these people using our tax dollars. Careful, careful with those swear words. Oh yes, there, yes. Brit. But um, I, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's that's the proper use and all, and all by all means. Um, unfortunately, I think Nicholas Weaver, based on scanning his profile, probably thinks that uh, it is the result of chronic underfunding or um, something because he retweeted something about the big lie GOPers. So he's on, you know, he's on the January six uh, brain rot or whatever. Um, the, the, the funny thing, this strikes me as the, well, I'm, you know, I've got my fifth booster, uh, and I just, I'm at home. I've been at home this whole time, but I got COVID, but thank goodness, uh, I have all those. Think about how much worse it would have been if I hadn't been, you know, quintuple, uh, vaxxed. And, uh, it's, you can always say it's the result of underfunding of the CDC, or it's always the, the underfunding of whatever, you know, it is. And, and, you think about the absolute payday of big pharma and the CDC deals working out with, you know, this, you know, nearly fascist, if not actually fascist, rollout of vaccines and government employee mandates, uh, as well as private sector mandates for a while, or mandates that you had to get the vaccine to travel certain ways, certain places. You think about all the money exchanged from there, and you think about the CDC's role in it, and it's it's hard to think that even if 
you know, it's hard to think that 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 the CDC isn't getting some kind of sketchy funds from that that are not reported. And and as you mm. point out, even if that isn't the case, you know, they they are not chronically underfunded. They get so much, and 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 then if if they are, and let's so let's you know address. I I don't think they are underfunded. I think. Their, their reported numbers show that they aren't. And I think that there's, you know, absolute insane levels of cash flow between them and, and Big Pharma. But let's say they're chronically underfunded. Maybe, just maybe, uh, it shouldn't be up to one organization for this sort of thing. And there either needs to be one big organization that can handle something like that that's privately run or you need to have a bunch of break broken up sort of smaller municipalities that can tackle these things more locally and decentralized because the way that diseases work obviously you need levels of communication but they start out somewhere and then they move to other places and so if you can lock down you know even from sort of the government framework if you can lock down the area where it starts um then it won't it prevents the spread and Big bloated government organizations are terrible at doing that. I mean, you think about even look at like compare this to like 9-11 where, uh, you know, the the hijacking, those terrorists and their plans were known by different pieces of the FBI and I believe the CIA. I'm not sure. Um, and there was it was just one miscommunicated mess of bloated bureaucracy of trying to communicate why well, I don't know who has clearance to hear what. And and so they didn't piece it together. And then the attack happened. And it was just ineptitude of big government bureaucracy and so it's like okay so we have this you know disease that's not fatal that's not a big deal um and you have a cdc that's supposed to be able to manage all over the country and it's not able to do it even in this case you'd think that like maybe the answer is to at least empower smaller localities for things like this instead of having a big overarching uh mucked up bureaucracy of course i don't think that the government is best suited to handle that but if you're going to do it maybe do it on more of a federalism level um if you you know if that's one of those abilities that absolutely must be done by the government, which I I think is stupid to say, but that's if that's your if that's the result, you know if the if the CDC truly is chronically underfunded, well then you need to if you know if it was a business it would need to adapt, it would either need to scale back its services, it would need to scale back its um, aim, its goal, its its what it can do, or it would try to find new business models to make do with fewer resources. And so maybe it needs an approach like that, again, decentralization or or other. Yeah. And that's that's the inerrant issue with any sort of government agency or program or institution is that that mindset of, oh, we're underfunded. That must mean we need to change our operating strategy. That's not even part of the calculus. It's, oh, well, how do we get more money? How do we prove yeah. our value so that we get to take money from some other you know, organization, or how do we get, you know, some sort of legislation to to raise funding for us through. Um, and so that that leads to crazy bad things that happen, you know, ranging from, you know, the whole COVID-19 response uh, to justify their existence to, you know, Waco, right? The ATF trying to justify its existence by having this, you know, newspaper cover level uh, event happen. And uh, it, we'd all be a lot better off if, if they thought like a normal business would, right? It, it would prevent a lot of evil uh, and bad outcomes. Yeah. All right. For our last one, we've got our old buddy, RR, uh, Robert Reich. Uh, and he tweets out minimum wage in 2009, you know, was seven twenty five. all the way up to 2022. It's still $7 and 25 cents. If wages had kept pace with productivity gains since 1968, the minimum wage would be $24 an hour. 
And then uh, one of our favorites, Robert P. Murphy, a great economist, tweeted back, are you suggesting that there are lots of workers right now who produce $24 an hour for their employers but only get paid minimum wage? Don't you have any connections with employers to point out the huge opportunity? And then uh, this genius uh, tweeted back at Robert Murphy, a Big Mac meal costs $11.49 in Canadian. This means that the average McDonald's worker needs to sell three Big Mac meals an hour to be worth $30 an hour, or $24 USD. Currently, minimum wage here is $15.65. That means they need to sell 1.36 Big Macs per hour. And then and he tweets, he keeps continues on. Now, I have never worked at a McDonald's, but let's say there's a, there's 10 people on shift. Let's say it's a 24-hour location. That's $3,765 a day or 326 Big Macs. I'm fairly sure that's doable, especially since that revenue is split across the hundreds of other items and combos. So in short, yes, $24 an hour is a viable minimum wage. Just sell a couple extra Big Macs. Hashtag eat the rich. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't, where did this guy learn math? Not from any sort of homeschool program uh, I've ever seen. The, the thing that strikes me about this is, is the people that have never ever run a business or been responsible for making sure reality, you know, is kept away from the door um, to destroy, you know, you or your family. Like the, the, those are the type of people that, that tweet these things out. It's like, it's like, okay, did you, how did you calculate that it needed to be, you know, 1.36 six Big Macs per hour. It's like, did, are you also factoring in, like, is is the McDonald's worker literally the person that's also raising the cow, feeding the cow, killing the cow, <laughs> processing the cow, driving the cow all the way to the McDonald's and then going and becoming a baker and baking the buns and then also going to a dairy and making the cheese and then raising the lettuce. It's like no single McDonald's worker does all of that. Um, and that is all of the value that is currently wrapped up into, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the eleven dollars and forty nine cents uh, Canadian Big Mac meal, right? Like the 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 workers portion of that eleven dollars and fifty cents for the Big Mac meal is maybe maybe a dollar, maybe two dollars. Like the rest of it is overhead for the restaurant. It's overhead for all of the different administration that manages how money gets placed. It's overhead for all of the different you know feed for the cows, all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, and, and then we, we tweeted back at this guy. I tweeted back through our account. It's just like, okay, at what point, like, let's, let's say all that is true, right? Like they, they make all this profit. What's great. Like now do the calculus of like that they would need to get rid of all their profits and all of the profits that they make go to their employees. Like how much do you think you could raise their, their salary by? Cause we all agree. This guy's at least coming from the standpoint that they need to make a profit, it's like, well, if you do that calculus, you know, spread out $8.5 billion in profit annually over their 2.2 million employees, it turns out that you could only pay each employee $1.87 more per hour, very far short of the $24 an hour that, they, that they're, he's looking for. Yeah, I, I mean, and the funny thing is you listed out all those things for the, for the Big Mac, and you didn't even talk about the meat, the rest of the meal, all of the supplies that it takes to ship it in, uh, and the building maintenance and the the equipment that they use to cook the burgers, and you think about all of these things, and uh, I don't know, and then these people get mad when employees get replaced with kiosks and digital, you know. He brought that point up later. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like they don't understand that there are trade-off and costs. And so raising a minimum wage like that means that your value then shifts because there are certain things that do, you know, you, you pay for 
24 hours, uh, you know, 24 hour or $24 an hour, uh, for an employee for so many hours before it just becomes like, this would have been cheaper to invest in a kiosk that will last me, uh, much longer than this employee will probably work here anyway. Um, yeah, this, I mean, the, the calculation is, is totally whack. It's totally off. And the, none of that even gets into the philosophical reality that there, no one should even be forcing you to pay a certain amount if you want to make a voluntary yes. agreement with another person. It's like, how far does this minimum wage law need to go? Like, if I want to hire a neighbor kid to paint my fence, do I have to hold him to that $24 an hour Robert Reich wants? What if it, you know, what if it's like a little kid who uh, I don't need my fence painted, but I want to teach him a lesson about work and and the value of earning money for work? Do I still have to pay that $24, even though the the the, the you know, fence doesn't need the paint and it's not really going to look that good and it's not a hard like how, how far does this does, does this go because they would probably say well obviously that wouldn't be a thing that wouldn't be but why not because in terms of the principle of the thing uh you don't get to arbitrarily determine these these kinds of metrics of who has to pay whom what uh you know does that extend into contract work well why does why is that not an exception and it is if i do it with like a family friend or you know there's there's so many of these exceptions but the, it all comes down to the fundamental moral principle that no one has the right to tell you that you have to pay someone something for a job if that person agrees to a different price point if you two voluntarily come to an agreement to do something then that is that that's that's it that's your obligation it's the agreement that you made with another person it's it's the it's the meme about you know the myth of consensual sex and it's like you know i consent one person i consent the other person and then the i don't isn't there someone you forgot to ask and it's usually jesus that was the original one and you know it's, mm. but it's like the government you know it's like you know <laughs> you know being paid you know for for ten dollars for for this job you know i consent i consent i don't the government isn't there someone you forgot to ask um but but again, the, the the best you know philosophical foundation and principle that these people would have to fall back on is we live in a society and the social contract and which is all nonsense rubbish that uh, of course uh, it is very anti-consent in its <laughs> in its founding. Yeah, and it's it's like okay, so sure, let's grant the premise that you deserve twenty four dollars an hour. Like now, now scale that up to like a business owner, right? Like a business owner that voluntarily wants to create a burger stand or whatever, and all the work that goes into it, figuring out what machines to use, figuring out how to hire employees, figuring out how to get the supply chain going and all that stuff. And like in the beginning, you have no customers. So how are you going to get paid $24 an hour as a business owner if you have no customers? And the answer is, is that the government's okay with business owners shouldering the risk. They're okay with them taking all that risk, and then they're more than fine to start blaming them after they start actually eking out any sort of profit, uh, and hopefully profit to make up for the years uh, that they didn't take any salary. Like People don't realize like most businesses don't turn any sort of profit to pay themselves uh, for at least three years after they are started. Um, and so... Like, take that reality, right? Like, that's the reality of, like, you will get paid less than what you produce. Like, that's just just a fact of the matter. You there There's, if you aren't getting paid, if you are getting paid more than you produce, it's either because of corruption or you are, you know, successfully gaming the system in some way. And eventually you will not be able to do that for much longer because it's, it's unsustainable. Um, and so it's like, I think everyone should operate within that reality because a business owner voluntarily 
takes on that burden, takes on that risk in hopes of a better future. Why is that right not also applied to? Why is the right that a business owner has to take on that and invest in themselves not also applied to a normal worker You know that might want to intern at a prestigious place or might, like you were saying, might want to just learn how to use tools to paint a fence or work on HVAC equipment or whatever. It's like the, the, the minimum wage is a barrier to those people being able to invest in themselves. And you and I believe that they should have the same rights as business owners. Yeah. And and the, and the last thing that I, I will add is that sometimes people then say, and I've seen this from Josh Hawley, I think we even had this as the cringe post once, yep. about um, only raise the minimum wage for big businesses. And it's funny because uh, these are also people who disagree with the idea of a graduated income tax, but that's all you're really doing, right? You're, you're taxing uh, a certain level of earning or size or whatever level of success. It's discriminatory towards businesses that need to hire more employees that even if they're, you know, a smaller business or it, it discourages revenue growth, like one, one way or the other or both. Um, and then the other, the other aspect of it, of course, is that if you create this two tiered system, well, if there are two jobs that are essentially the same, like a store clerk, and one is for a big company like Walmart, but they're required to pay $24 an hour, and uh, the other's for the local small business that's only required to pay $7.25, that small business is going to get no employees willing to work yep. for them. And then the business dies because they can't hire anyone to man, because no one's going to be willing to do that when they can put in the same effort for another job uh, that um, is artificially paying higher for, for the same value and effort put in. Yep, and that's that's why you see. I mean, you, there's there's ads if you stream on Netflix or, or Amazon or anywhere. You know, Amazon has ads saying, "I guess Netflix doesn't have ads yet." They they're announced an ad yeah. an ad uh, an ad version. But uh, any of these places, you know, Peacock or whatever, like Amazon will have an ad that says, "Hey, we pay fifteen dollars an hour." And and lo and behold, they're also one of the biggest proponents of pushing a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage because they know that they have the infrastructure to actually pay for that. Um, and they, and even if they didn't have the infrastructure, they're willing to eat it for however long, uh, so that they can put all of their competitors out of business and keep their competitors new from entering the market. Right. It's, that's the, uh, the, the, it's always interesting, you know, these, these people that don't like big corporations and think they're so greedy, ironically have the same views as some of these corporations. It's just, it's so bizarre that, that everyone has the same perspective. It's almost like their interests are aligned. Um, or not their interests, but the outcomes are going to be the same um, across across all 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 uh, all opportunities. I don't have any more on this one unless you do. Nope, I'm good. Cool. All right, friends, thanks for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, like we said at the beginning of the episode, please make sure to like, share, subscribe, send us a DM, leave a comment. We love to hear it, and we will catch you next time. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.